our beer of the week this week is Sam Adams. You know, they're a Boston beer. They got Boston lager. And Sam Adams, he was a founding father and he was a patriot. And this week we're talking about the AFC East. We're back on Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Stephen, joined by my co-host, Jacob, and special guest, Jack Bitcon. To talk about the AFC East, the division has four teams that have reasonable playoff chances for one reason or another. Buffalo still looks like one of the best teams in the league. Miami's offense and defense are loaded and designed to play fast. New York is the new kid on the block with the addition of a seasoned quarterback in Rodgers, which leaves us New England, a team with a stout defense and the greatest head coach during our lifetime. I'm sure we'll only get more positive input from longtime Patriots fan and dear friend of ours, Jack. That's very nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> hey guys, I am Jack. Um, I'm the kind of household Patriots fan and punching bag for the group chat uh, when anything regarding the Patriots comes up. I originally became a Pats fan, uh, basically from birth, but really because of my grandmother. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Didn't live there for very long. Moved to Phoenix, Arizona, but for some reason she hammered home the fact that we were Patriots fans with me. Um, but honestly, if we're going to be fully transparent, I just think she had a crush on uh, Drew Bledsoe and then even more so a crush on Tom Brady. So in the interest of full honesty, I think I'm a Patriots fan because my grandmother had a crush on my, my grandmother had a crush on Dan Marino. So I, I completely uh, yeah. relate with you there. <laughs> but you're a Panthers fan. Like, that didn't lead to your lifelong fan Absolutely, the Dolphins. You know what I'm saying? It's a really goofy situation. And I really haven't thought it that, like, broke it down like that until right now, gents. Um, but I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I am your local degenerate Pats fan, checking into yet another white man with a podcast situation. Happy well, we appreciate you being here. And since we have you, why not talk about the Patriots first? For a team that two years ago came off a playoff berth during Mac Jones's rookie year, I think the expectations were pretty high last year to continue that success. But as we know, the Pats fell short. I mean, what happened? Um, if you are masochistic enough to watch the games, then you'd realize that their offense was basically like watching paint dry. Um, having a basically defensive coordinator call plays on offense was tragic at best. Um, so, I mean, I'll name like Matt Patricia was basically like, you can't bring this up without having that name dropped. Like first, it was really rough to watch that happen. It was just painfully obvious that, um, you know, it was a former defensive coordinator who was calling plays like third and long screens. They'll never expect this type of mentality. It was painful. Um, Mostly, like I, I, the more I think about it, it's mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Like the defense and the special teams performed pretty well last year. The offensive line was a revolving door. There were constantly pieces moving up and down that line. I know at least the guard and tackle positions. There were at least three different people that snapped Mac Jones the ball last year. Um, and then, kind of leading in with Mac, you know, he got hurt. I don't know if it was you know it was early, kind of halfway through the season. Um, you know, and then Zappy comes in, uh, he wins a game, throws a touchdown pass or two, and then it's like, hey, is Zappy the guy? And it's like, what the, f what are we doing here? Why, why are we having these kinds of conversations? Like, Mac had a hell of a rookie year and got hamstrung in year two. You know, 
Bailey Zappi, like some literally nobody's heard of this guy before, comes in, throws a couple of touchdown passes, wins a game against, let's be very clear, not exactly the greatest competition in the NFL. Like, why are we having serious conversations about quarterback after Mac Jones gets hurt? It's ridiculous to me. Um, other than that, you know, like there's no real super shiny piece on that offense. Like Hunter Henry's fun and all. Um, he's very good at what he does. I think that you could scheme him very well into the offense moving forward. I think B.O.B. is going to do a pretty good job of doing that. Um, but other than, I mean, other than that, like you have Janu, he just really never found his place within the Patriots offense. Um, and then you had injuries all over the place, like where in the beginning of the season, it looked like it was going to be all right with Devontae Parker and some of the other speed receivers that they had gotten in the draft, you know, two or three injuries in that wide receiver room. And it was basically like, Okay, who do we throw the ball to now? Um, you know, Jacoby Myers was great. He's not going to take the top off of the defense. He'll be great on third down. He'll be great in those clutch situations. He had some rough drops, but he had more good plays than bad. I'm going to miss him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a overall, it was kind of a vacuum chamber of shitty ideas offensively. You really had Bill Belichick, who's a defensive mind, obviously, and then Matt Patricia, who's a defensive mind sitting there and scheming up offenses, which is just never going to work. I don't understand like really how that even came to be what was happening. Um, but if I see, if I moving forward, if I see another third down screen, like third down and 10 plus screen, I'm, I'm either throwing something at my television or myself. Uh, man, uh, when I watched the Pats, uh, I couldn't agree with anything that you said more. It was, uh, the offense was a disaster. But that brings us to one of the more important additions or reunions in the NFL this past season to our particular unit in Bill O'Brien. And hopefully he can improve an offense that was seventh worst in yards per game and was at the bottom half of the league in scoring last year. Last time we saw Bill O'Brien call plays for the Patriots was back in 2011 when they went to a Super Bowl. That year, Gronkowski and Hernandez combined for 169 receptions, 2,200 yards, and about 25 touchdowns. Now, to cool expectations, Gronkowski was one of the best tight ends to ever play the game and had Tom Brady throwing in the ball. So while I don't think the production will be nearly as effective, I would still anticipate Hunter Henry, Mike Gusecki, and even Juju Smith-Schuster to be utilized in a similar capacity as 12 personnel begins to make a comeback. You a 12 personnel fiend, huh? Hey, it's it's a copycat league with a lot of recycled material, just like pointing out the teams mimicking the Chiefs in the attempt to take advantage of lighter personnel in boxes. I'm with you. And when it comes to Bill O'Brien, he has two real core tenets of his offensive philosophy. One being he likes to attack the middle of the field, which I think fits right in line with 12 personnel. And two, he likes to use tempo to keep defenses honest. I think we're going to see a departure from some of the uh, kind of meaningless deep field plays that Matt Patricia designed and heavily focused on last season. I also think we're going to see B.O.B. incorporate more of what Mac did well at Alabama into the offense this year, much like what we experienced in Mac's rookie year when Josh Daniels was calling plays. Uh, while B.O.B. was never Mac's uh, particular play caller in college, he had Steve Sarkeesian calling plays. Alabama runs the same offensive system regardless of whatever offensive coordinator is there, not the other way around. I think that's going to benefit the Pats offense this year, and especially Mac, knowing that Bill O'Brien has some familiarity with what he was successful with at the college level. Yeah, I think Mac has some pretty high expectations this year. Um, 
maybe not personally, but overall within the Patriots fan base from what I see you know, on socials and on all that kind of stuff via, via the media. Um, and honestly, it's, it's relatively fair. You know, like he had every excuse in the world not to perform very well last year. He got hurt. Um, everyone recognized that having uh, Matt Patricia call plays was just absolutely detrimental to any sort of development that he was going to have. It was basically a push here. Um, but to your point on deep shots, honestly, that was the most entertaining part of watching Patriots offense last year. Like it was, it was first down run, second down run, third down, we're either running a screen or taking a shot down the right-hand side of the field. Like it was really rough to watch. Um, I would like that aspect of it to, con to continue uh, the deep shots. Although I would like that to happen in a more strategic and designed way. And I'm hopefully, hopefully hoping that, uh, that Bill O'Brien will be able to draw something up to make actual use of the speed and talent that we have on the outside at wide receiver. Um, there was basically no meet, like no complex medium passing game last year. You're not, you didn't have much going across the middle. Um, you might've had your occasional Jacoby Myers 10 yard in to just like desperately pick up a first down, but that was about it. Um, hopefully the adding Gusecki, like I don't really feel, I don't see Gusecki as like a big bodied, hard nosed tight end. I don't really see Hunter Henry in that way either, but hopefully by using the combination of them and some of the bigger bodied wide receivers like Devontae Parker, um, we'll be able to get some of that inside passing game, that seven to eight or that five to eight yard deep passing game up and rolling into this season. Um, I think Mac has the head on his shoulders to make anticipatory plays. You know, he showed it in his rookie year. He's able to zip the ball across the middle. Did he make poor decisions? Yes. Every rookie does. But like, I mean, you're in year three, this is your third year. And to his point, he's not learning, you know, this is not his third year developing into the same offense, but I think given enough time in this offense, he'll be able to make those anticipatory plays, those throws over the middle that will genuinely be able to make a difference between you know, a 58 second, seven yard drive and a 17 play, you know, touchdown that lasts six minutes. Like it's a, it's a big difference. You're going to have a lot more versatility in your offense. Um, I would expect the pace in the game management to be a little bit better. Like, I think that there were some periods of time last year, like some of the games towards the ends of games, towards the ends of halves, things that you wouldn't expect the Patriots to portray, right? Like where it was, you're usually used to Bill Belichick making the right decisions at the right time for the right reason. Um, and there were some times last year where you're like, what are we doing with our timeouts? You know, we've got three timeouts left. There's 58 seconds left on the clock. Like what is, what is happening um, both before half and before the ends of games. And it costs, it costs the Patriots points. It costs the Patriots games over time. Like it, it was really rough to watch. So I'm hoping that um, Bill being able to, kind of have a little bit more trust in the offensive side of the ball and, and spend more of his time on the defense and special teams should help a lot with, with the game management side of things. Um, but overall, I think, you know, we want to see more points. We being Patriots fans want to see more points being put on the board. Like it was pretty rough last year. I know, I know that we like the Pats got points up. I don't know where they were at Steven and uh, Jacob. You might be able to pull up like an exact points per game number, but it wasn't where it should have been. And it wasn't where it needs to be to actually win games, uh, more sustained drives. You know, like I said, like there were multiple you know, 58 second, 62 second drives last year. It's like, we're basically just handing the ball back. You're punting twice in a row. Um, and I want to keep Matt clean. Like he got injured last year for a reason. He got, he was on the ground a lot 
Like it was, it was pretty, pretty rough. And while the tackle position may not be a hundred percent addressed through the off season and through the draft, I think that through a little bit of an additional scheming and there are, there are good offensive line pieces there. I think through the right scheme and through the right personnel, we'll be able to keep Matt clean a lot more effectively, thus being able to a prevent injuries and B uh, give him the time he needs to make some of those more complex uh, reads and, and throws that are going to be asked of him in this Bill O'Brien offense. A hundred percent. And I couldn't agree more on that front. I think what Belichick did in the draft also supports that he addressed kicker and punter in the fourth and sixth round. He got interior offensive linemen in the fourth and fifth rounds. So he's definitely starting to restock some of those problematic issues. I think he's going to go back to being more the game manager he was and allowing Bill O'Brien to unlock that offense because there was very little rhythm and there was a lack of timing last year and that just showed up and you want that corrected. You want that fixed. So you're an efficient offense moving forward. So you develop Mac Jones and the quarterback he can be. And so that being said, I love the role Ramondre Stevenson has in this offense going into year three. I'm intrigued to see how they utilize second year back Pierre strong. What I don't see on this offense right now, because they have a lot of different players that can fit different roles. They don't have a bruiser back. And Leonard Fournette's currently a free agent, so I think that's a potential fit, especially seeing how they use LeGarrette Blunt in years past. But that leads me to one question on the offensive line that I feel like is probably the weakest point, and that's how do we feel about Riley Reef at the right tackle position? Me personally, I'm not sure he brings much to bolster kind of a middle-of-the-pack offensive line from last year. They had a lot of injuries uh, for what it's worth, but they were 15th in ESPN's pass block win rate and actually dead last in run block win rate, which is kind of surprising considering one of the few highlights I have in my head of the Pats offense last year was Ramondre Stevenson uh, having some good runs. And uh, as a whole, we kind of touched on the offense and what needs to change going into uh, next year. And while the offense is getting its makeover that it needs, the defense was one of the best in the league last year. They were third in defensive DVOA. And like Steve said, they were adding a lot during the draft. They added a lot of premium talent at the beginning of the draft to that defense. Absolutely. Um, Someone like Juwan Bentley, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, being picked up by by BB in the draft um, is basically – and I'm going to get off on a tangent about BB in the draft here for 30 seconds. But if you're picking a defensive lineman, linebacker, or safety, like I, I feel relatively confident in a BB draft pick. Same thing with offensive line, but anything outside of that, it's it's going to be hit or miss, like really hit or really miss, and mostly miss. Um, but I think now, like especially with the past season, he had a hit with Christian Gonzalez, and now he has a piece. I think he did last year too, but I think now he has an elite piece at every level of his defense that he can really open up levels of flexibility with um, even more so than he had last season. Obviously someone like Kyle, Kyle Duggar, who we'll talk about in a little bit adds crazy versatility to, to a defense like that and a multitude of personnel packages. Um, but one thing that I'm looking forward to specifically uh, back on Jawan Bentley and the linebackers is also a little bit of a concern of mine. Um, it's the fact that they're pretty hard nosed, like they're big run stuffing linebackers. Like the ability to get sideline to sideline is becoming increasingly important in uh, the AFC. Like there's so much speed in the AFC, even just the AFC alone or AFC East alone. Um, 
it's it's crazy. You have to be able to get sideline to sideline, like your Fred Warners of the world. Um, there, it's it's a must. Um, so I think that while it's going to be great in the run game, like it's going to be really hard to run against the Patriots. I am hoping that if they're not a liability in coverage or in space. Um, so very curious to see how how BB ends up putting the linebacker core together to make sure there's a balance of run stuff and capabilities and uh, and speed across the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to see Christian Barmore again. Uh, we did lose him in the beginning of last season. He was a stud uh, two years ago, and you know between Devon Godshaw and a few of those other guys that are on that defensive line, like it's going to be really tough to get movement against the Patriots defensive front. Um, speaking of, of that defensive line, like you have, you have Matt Judon, right? He had, I think through the first 10 games, he had a, like a lot of sacks. I don't know if he was a double digit sack guy last year, but through the first half of the season, a little bit, uh, a little bit outside of that, like he, he was a monster. It would be really cool if he could keep that up into the later end of the season or even pop off towards the, uh, the playoffs as well. Again, if, if, and when they make it to the playoffs, um, and then I'm, I'm also super curious to see John Jones get back into action. He was pretty versatile last year, could line up at pretty much any of the corner positions. Didn't trust him outside as much as I do inside. Uh, he is one of those more physical guys, but he is a like crazy athlete. He is very fast, uh, can take away a lot of speed at the line of scrimmage. And then a guy that I mentioned earlier, Devon Godshaw across that defensive front, like him paired with uh, Christian Barmore. And then they've got a couple of other guys on that defensive on that defensive interior line as well that really are difficult to get movement on. Like he's a monster in the middle of that defense. Bill Belichick got him for a steal. I think it was late in the offseason last year, but he's been worth every single penny so far. Um, and then the last guy I've got kind of on my list of like who to watch this year, uh, Jack Jones, who's been kind of um, he's been hitting tw Twitter a little bit today, but he was a really good young gun in the backpack. I mean, gun in the back of that Bill Belichick defense last year. And I'm really excited to see um, where he goes from here. Jack Jones really picked up where JC Jackson left off, which was really cool to see. A story I heard a couple of years ago about the Patriots defense and everything you were just talking about kind of resonated with the story I heard. And it was everybody since kind of what the Seahawks did with the Legion of Boom got faster, they got lighter on defense so they could keep up with these high powered offenses. But the Patriots, like they always have, have these big bodies and they would wear on you as the season went on when you would start playing the Patriots in November, December, and then you'd lead into those playoff games in January, these bigger bodies, like those hits would hurt that much more. And so that took a toll on teams. And it was one thing that Belichick always had that kind of gave them an edge. And this unit, as Jacob alluded to with DVOA was top three last year. And I think they're going to stay top three based on the personnel and coaching. The defensive line features not only Matt Judon and Christian Barmore, who are absolute studs, but a young riser in Josh Uche and a savvy vet in Dietrich Wise. And that's probably just the tip of the iceberg when you're looking at the team's strength because the defensive line also has Dave on Godshow, like you said, Lawrence Guy, and rookie Keon White out of Georgia Tech, who looks really, really good. Yeah, that defensive line is definitely pretty stout. But so are the second and third levels of the defense. Both areas got new additions in Marte Mapu for the linebacking core 
and uh, Christian Gonzalez, who's a good athlete and should be able to do a number of things for the defense. I'm particularly interested in what Gonzalez uh, brings to a corner room of Jones, Jones, and Jones going into next year. <laughs> to add that to the quarterback room of Jones, it's been. Uh, I think yeah. the, I think Bill Belichick is going for the air uh, or the uh, the strategy of confusion, where it's just like, hey, they've got four dudes. They're just going by numbers now. You have to number them. Um, Jones one, two, and three. But speaking of like the defensive backs, I, I, I alluded to him earlier. I'd be going crazy if I didn't like mention Kyle Duggar. I think this is going to be his fourth year um, in the league. And he's, you can see he's becoming a leader for that defense. Dude is an absolute savage. Like he's been able to, he's been able to stay healthy, which is huge. And I'm literally knocking on wood right now because I can't afford to lose this man in my life. Um, but for three years now, he's been consistent and is a stable, a staple in basically every personnel package. Like he's always on the field. Um, he's making plays. If he picks the ball off, like he's going to house that shit. Like it's going to the end zone. Um, and it opens up a ridiculous level of flexibility for Bill Belichick. I think the man plays like three different positions. He plays outside linebacker. He plays slot corner. He can, he can brush off the edge. He plays safety. That's like what he's listed as his safety, but he ba- basically plays everything. Um, he's a bigger version of Jalen Ramsey that plays back further in the defense, um, the way I kind of look at it. But another guy you've got back there is Adrian Phillips. Like, I think I was looking at the depth chart a, a couple of days now, and he's actually listed to the second, the second string of the depth chart, but it would not surprise me at all if there are the majority of the Patriots personnel packages have three safeties on the field with someone like Duggar playing outside linebacker or something along those lines. Um, now, I know we were talking a little bit about Nick Folk as well. I don't even know if you want this to be a, a topic of conversation, but I honestly like look. I I'm a I love Nick Folk for making kicks and doing what he's, he needs to do. But I honestly cannot emphasize enough how little I care about that guy leaving. Uh, we're gonna you know find another kicker. He I, it was, he was good, right? He had that streak. Uh, he had a great career. I think he was like 56 when he finally retired. But um, as long as they they uh, the new guy that they drafted doesn't need to get any like allegedly racist tattoos covered up, we're good to go. That's a that's an excellent point. And yeah, Kyle Duggar, I think he's one of everybody like any football nerds favorite players in the league. He's just excellent. But overall, the Pats, I think they added to their strengths and they're trying to retool their weakness just like good teams should do. I think with all the positives surrounding the team, we can finally admit just how bad of a decision Belichick made last offseason with the whole Matt Patricia thing It completely derailed the team. And it cost them a year of the rookie QB surplus. No, I, I agree. Um, it'll come down to, like, I don't know. He's not, Bill Belichick's obviously got a lot of freedom in that organization. But he's got to be able to look in the mirror and be like, hey, that was a that was a miss. <laughs> and it was. Um, you know, the, the right pieces are there. I think that if you get the train back on the tracks, it could end up being in a pretty positive direction. A hundred percent. Now, to your point about the kicker, a guy named Chad Rylan. I don't know if uh, he's going to get any bad tattoos or not or make poor life decisions, but fingers crossed on that. I was really happy that Belichick went out and signed Juju and Gusecki. 
giving O'Brien guys that can create plays across the middle of the field. Because like you said, it's it's nice to see those deep shots, but they need to be strategic. So having stuff that opens up more of the offense gets you chunk yardage without having to shoot the deep ball is is great. And so when you look at the Patriots' current situation, they have about $18 million in cap this year, so they can still sign a guy or two to fill out a, a need. And then they have $107 million, which leads the league to work with next year. So they can obviously then add in star talent, trade for a guy, go out in the streets, sign a big name, and really bolster that roster to make a playoff push next year. Absolutely. While three teams in the division are all in, the Pats are the one team that can kind of shake it all up next year. But moving on to one of those teams that's all in, and they've been all in for a couple years now, Buffalo Bills, they were another team with a strong defense last year. They were fourth in defensive DVOA and an equally good offense that was second in DVOA and second in points per game. The Bills are hoping to keep those Super Bowl hopes alive. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know how you start this conversation without talking about Josh Allen. Like playing against him twice a year as a Patriots fan is really just it sucks. It fucking sucks. That's all we can. That's all you can kind of say about it. It's like playing against Patrick Mahomes. It's like playing against Lamar Jackson. Like there are those four or five dudes in the league that are just like, hey, you just do what you can. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm like, hopefully we could. We'll, we'll be able to frustrate him this year. If any defensive line in the in the NFL is going to be able to to get to him this year, it'll be it'll be the Patriots. But you know, Bill Belichick. When we're talking about rushing quarterbacks, like I I feel like setting contain is a conceptually very easy thing to do. I just don't understand why it's so fucking hard for the Patriots to do it when we play against someone like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Cam Newton. It's painful. Um, And Josh, I mean, like he can run similar to Lamar. Like he can make something out. I think he can make something out of nothing just as as, as effectively as Lamar Jackson. Um, He's not as fast, but I mean, he'll, he'll be 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage run 15 yards forward and, th- and throw, I mean, you're throwing, he's throwing a 70 yard pass across his body down the field. It's like, what are we even playing against right now? Who is this guy? I think the only way that you're going to be able to effectively stop that is like, I don't know. You guys remember how do you even stop Tom Brady? Like, like what, five, six years ago, you have to get to him in less than three seconds. That is your only shot. And even then, like, you're, it's still 50-50. Like, he'll either throw it away. He may break the tackle. Dude's 6'5", 260. Like, he's like Cam Newton. Um, I think that, honestly, like, if anyone's going to have a shot, it's going to be the it's gonna be the Patriots' defense to slow them down. Um, but they have, st- they have solid weapons. Um, they've got a couple of good receivers, one who knows how to create separation with uh, Stephon Diggs. But Buffalo has been relatively one-dimensional. Um, I think that making them one-dimensional by taking away the running game entirely is probably the first step in trying to beat them. But overall, it's a it's a really it's a really tall ask. I think that's what the Bills did this offseason. They realized teams were making them one-dimensional down the stretch, and it put a lot on Josh Allen's plate. And what did they do this offseason? They went out. They drafted Dalton Kincaid. They drafted Osiris Torrance. I think they picked up Connor McGovern, and they're just keeping up with the times in terms of being versatile. McDermott was a coach under Reed in the 2000s, and Reed's Chiefs last year had two or more tight ends on the field for roughly 40% of their offensive snaps. With Kincaid and Knox, I'd expect the Bills to put their best five out on the field very routinely. The only thing 
I would be wary of is, is Diggs is going into his second year on a second extension. The last big name wide receivers we saw in massive deals, similar to the one he signed last offseason, were guys like Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and DeAndre Hopkins that didn't stay with the team usually past year two on these contracts, and in Hopkins' case, only made it to year three before being cut this past offseason. So Diggs turns 30 at the end of November, which begs the question, will he be in Buffalo next year in 2024? I mean, if uh, if your pattern holds true, it's hard to believe he will be in Buffalo. Despite the, uh, the negatives surrounding Ken Dorsey and his first year as the Bills' offensive play caller, the offense's output was actually remarkably similar to that before with Brian Dable. In both 21 and 2022, the Bills produced 28.4 points per game on offense, and in 2022, they even gained more yards per game. One of the main differences, however, was the number of turnovers increasing. It was mainly fumbles. Uh, Josh Allen actually had fewer interceptions this past year than a year ago, which uh, is kind of a crazy narrative because I know a lot of people talk about his elbow injury and the interceptions this year when he actually threw less this past year. But with the additions to the offensive line and tight end groups like you mentioned, along with bringing in guys like Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, to try and uh, balance that offense and run the ball more, hopefully uh, the number of turnovers can go down. And like we've been alluding to the past few minutes, they can really balance that offense and be more of a threat to other teams. Absolutely. Now, for all the Panther fans listening, there are a lot of familiar names on the Bills coaching staff. You already mentioned Ken Dorsey, their offensive coordinator. Joe Brady is their quarterback's coach. Mike Shula is their senior offensive assistant. Eric Washington is their defensive line coach. Al Holcomb is their senior defensive assistant. And it just kind of goes to the point that McDermott and Bean can't get enough of Carolina and their staff. Now, with the help of passing game coordinator John Butler, Sean McDermott will not only be handling his head coaching duties that he's been dealing with since 2017, but he's also going to be calling defensive plays this fall for the first time in Buffalo. It wasn't something he's done in Buffalo until the last couple games of last year. So it'll be interesting to see the effect McDermott has on the defensive side, especially with the addition of Leonard Floyd to a defensive line that features Von Miller, Gregory Rousseau, and Ed Oliver. Man, I didn't think about it until you named all the names, but they really are Carolina North. But the, that defense uh, and that defensive line like you're talking about should still be as strong as ever, if only a little bit older. Uh, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde should be back healthy this year. I know they were out a big chunk of last year. And eventually we'll get to see Von Miller play again this season. I know he said he hopes to be ready by week one, but he also said he'll be ready by week six at the latest. So hopefully he'll be back sometime soon, if not week one. I think the Leonard Floyd addition really emphasizes the overall lack of development we've seen from a lot of early uh, defensive line selections that Brandon Bean has made. Aside from Gregory Rousseau, Rousseau, who is a freak athlete and I think is going to take a major step this year, A.J. Epinesa and Carlos Basham, who I believe were both uh, day two picks, don't, insta- don't inspire much confidence. Yeah, they're they're a talented defense. Don't get me wrong, but they're they're aging. Uh, it comes down honestly to whether or not if you're playing against them to if you can keep the quarterback clean. And again, like that's pretty basic. If you have an extra half second, three quarters of a second in the pocket, there's going to be that ability to generate that extra separation and get plays down the field. Um, 
there is speed on the backside of the defense between some of the safeties they've got and, and their linebacker core. We'll talk a little bit about the loss of Tremaine Edmonds, but the D line, like to me, it, it looks kind of rough. It looks kind of rough. Zero percent chance Von Miller crosses 250 snaps this year. No, no shot, no shot. <laughs> and I'm not super concerned about additions like Leonard Floyd. He was pretty good in Chicago, but that Chicago D line was disgusting when he was there. And like I can play next to Aaron Donald and get sacks in the NFL. It is really like he, that man takes up three offensive linemen by himself. I would be good playing next to Aaron Donald. Um, we'll see how he turns out. But the loss of Tremaine Edmonds, that's kind of what I want to touch on here. It's rough because that dude was versatile. Bill Belichick has made me a believer in that like you don't have to have the best safety in football to get the best results from that safety. You have to have the most versatile safety in football to get the best results from that safety. And if you can apply that logic to as many of the positions on the defensive side of the ball as you can, you're going to have a lot of success. And Tremaine Edmonds is one of those guys that's going to be versatile in so many different situations. He's one of those guys that I was talking about earlier. He can go sideline to sideline. He's a freak athlete and he can pass rush. He can play inside, outside linebacker. It's, he's one of those guys that makes you have to do less work as a defensive coordinator on a week to week basis. Um, losing, losing him is going to, is going to add to the workload of the rest of the defense. Um, it's just, yeah, it's dynamic, it's dynamic and versatile. That's a brutal, that's a brutal loss for a defense like this. Uh, it takes a lot of stuff off the board um, and just forces your defensive coordinator to get that much more creative when you know you're drawing shit up. Absolutely, I think uh, Edmonds had his best year last year, and uh, in regards to the defensive coordinator, they actually lost their defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. It's going to be like Steve said, Sean McDermott calling plays on defense this year. So that'll be pretty interesting since he hasn't done that since uh, what 2016. 2016 but, uh, with Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Overall, uh, I think the Bills. They've seemingly been either Super Bowl favorites or one of the highest odds teams to make it for the past two or three seasons, but they've fallen short each time. I mean whether it's running into Mahomes or Burrow or dealing with injuries or a combination of both, they just can't seem to get there. I think the addition of a player like Leonard Floyd, as well as a supposed commitment to running the ball more effectively or having a more balanced offense shows that they want to make another run at it. And my question to you guys is, do you think they'll be able to get there this time or do you think they'll fall short again? I really don't think so. Honestly, I don't think, I mean, they could be Super Bowl favorites. They could win a playoff game or two, but like I don't, I don't see them being an AFC championship team. I don't see them being a Super Bowl winning team. It's there's two, there are there are too many question marks, honestly. In the AFC, where you have the Kansas City Chiefs, you've got the Baltimore Ravens. You, I mean, Buffalo's always named up there, but I mean, I think that maybe maybe six or seven out of the best teams in the NFL are in the AFC. Um, it makes it incredibly difficult, especially when you get into that December, January type of uh, football. The addition of Leonard Floyd doesn't get them over the hump for me. Like it's not, it, that's not a game changing element to add to your defense. Um, when your matchups are Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, like it doesn't, that's not going to be the thing that gets the, the bills over the line. They need to be able to have a sustain, like sustained success, be able to stay healthy. That's one of the other things is like they're, we're talking about, you know, completely changing their, their face into this hard-nosed run-the-ball playoff team, they're an injury or two away in an injury or two prone locker room 
to completely abandoning that run the ball mentality and putting it just back on Josh's shoulders. It's it's just going to be the division alone, like the AFC East between the four teams that are there. Like to have the Patriots, who could very easily be a ten win team, be the what is say, st- stated to be the worst team in the division. Like it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be really hard to play in. Absolutely. Now, they did add Damian Harris, who I think is an upgrade to Devin Singletary. They are going to want to pound the rock, but that's more just to ease as much off of Josh Allen's shoulders so he doesn't have to be Superman all the time because I think that's what it was leading to at the end of last year, and it just kind of fell apart. The wheels kind of came off the wagon. To the point about Leonard Floyd, he isn't supposed to be an X-factor who can take over a game. He should be a key contributor in a strong rotation to keep guys fresh as this, this season progresses. Because like you said, you don't want a guy like Von Miller going down again. He should be playing a limited role and be able to turn it on when the playoffs come around. Because if Von Miller gets hot, he's been shown to wreck games. And I think he still has that explosion. So the season really rides on the shoulders, in my opinion, on three guys staying healthy. Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Von Miller. When Miller went on IR and Allen hurt his elbow, this team just didn't look the same down the stretch. They went from a trajectory towards a Super Bowl berth to falling flat at home for Cincinnati. And I think they did a lot of things this offseason to make sure they don't fall apart down the stretch. But again, we'll see. A team, another team that kind of uh, fell apart down the stretch after a hot start for whatever reason, one reason or another, is the Miami Dolphins. They made a bit of noise last year under new head coach Mike McDaniel, who is not the Ravens defensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a throwback to episode one. But uh, this offense is tailor-made to speed blitz opponents, and it was pretty effective in doing so for a good chunk of last season while Tua was upright and healthy. Mike McDaniel is a true Kyle Shanahan prodigy. He has a high usage and efficiency rate out of 21 personnel. The Dolphins ran at 34% of their offensive plays last year, and Tua led the league with over 30% of his dropbacks in 21 personnel while ranking sixth in overall efficiency. This allows McDaniel to window dress the threat of outside zone, which he brings from San Francisco. And if you guys have listened to the play callers um, by The Athletic, it's a great podcast series. And it shows that McDaniel, the reason why he stayed with Shanahan all those years is because he developed the run game. So being able to threaten that and then having speedsters who can attack vertically downfield with Hill and Waddle just makes this offense so diverse. Yeah, I had Tyreek on my fantasy team last year. And let me be very clear. He was, he was, uh, responsible for between 30 and 40% of my points on a weekly basis. Um, but it's so painful to play against this guy as like to watch your team play against the combination of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Um, I fucking hate it. It must be so much fun to sit there and draw up plays with these two guys that just get the defense completely twisted around. Um, the, the problem is you don't have like if there's a level of human instinct to playing defensive football that you can't scheme for. You know what I mean? Like you can you can you can practice, you can practice, you can practice, you can practice. When I see two people that run four, three, fives crossing my face, I don't have time to make whatever call I have to make my fucking colleague. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not I'm not thinking about anything but trying to catch up with this man. So there are elements to this that you can't even scheme. There are the level of speed that they that they have can't 
be understated because they just they literally blow by they blow by people they blow by anything you can scheme up um and the other aspect of both of these guys like really you see it a lot with Tyreek Hill but Jalen Waddle did it a lot last year too is they can turn they can turn something like uh, they can get something from nothing right like they're there'll be in a situation where I mean it's Tua or whoever the fuck is throwing the ball for the Dolphins last year just basically like hope chucking it right they're throwing it as far into the air as they possibly can just hoping like hey one of those guys is down there and Tyreek Hill's 5-6 ass comes down with it over a 6-2 safety I don't know how it happens or (laughs) someone catches a four-yard slant someone catches a four-yard slant sheds a tackle from some shit corner and then takes it for 30 yards down the field it's just it's they're they're incredible athletes. It happened against the 49ers yeah. defense last year. Yeah, exactly it's right. The, like they would just it was on the that. very first or maybe the second play. Trent Sherfield slant 75 it's yards. It's really fun to watch. It's really fun to watch, but God, I hate when the Patriots play against them because there's just an element to it that you can't even it's out of your control. They're just going to be very good football players. Yeah, you got to you got to play ultra prevent defense to stop. You got to drop all 11 in order to stop it. Uh, the offense is definitely deadly. It's just down to Tua at this point. I think he has what it takes to operate the offense at a high level. I mean, we saw it last year in the first half of the year when he was upright, but the Dolphins have still neglected to field a competent offensive line to protect Tua. I expect them to be at the bottom half of the league again this year, the offensive line that is, and I don't know if they'll be able to hold up well against some of the super strong defenses that this division has. Just like Diggs, and I'm, I'm coming back to Tyree Kill, he's entering his second year of his new deal. And something to be mindful of going in the next season is I don't see his speed dropping off anytime soon, but I do see Jalen Waddle, who is going into his third year, he's going to start to become more the centerpiece as Hill enters the back end of his career. And so when we're seeing all these plays develop, they have the playmakers. It's just a matter of can Tua get them the ball? And that was the question all last year, because when it was in sync, it was beautiful to watch. But if that pocket is collapsing and Tua can't get the ball or the backup Mike White can't get these guys the ball, it's it's going to cause a lot of questions and concerns. Yeah, thinking, I'm thinking back to that uh, Ravens game from last year, just seeing them uh, make that, what was it, like a 42 to 14 entering the second half and they made that comeback. I think it was the 35 offense, 14 but yeah no it was it was yeah, definitely a 14 yeah that, i mean the skill positions are incredibly talented but the defense also has a good bit of talent you know they've added players like bradley chubb and jalen ramsey over the past calendar year and they have a lot of young players like uh jalen phillips and uh javon holland that can blossom into stars in regards to phillips i think uh he's going to be a guy it's going to be a breakout candidate this year, maybe like a 12 sack, 12 plus sack guy opposite of Bradley Chubb on that defensive line. Yeah, that defense is going to be solid, just like the rest of the defenses in the AFC East. You know, it's going to be like, it's just brutal. Um, adding Jalen Ramsey is just, you know, it's getting another ridiculously talented player over into the AFC, over into the AFC East specifically. I'm literally waiting for this dude to get washed. Like one of the most impressive things about his career so far is how long he's been so good for um at at the position that he's been good at um if your defensive coordinator gives you basically free reign to choose which position you want to play and 
how you want to line up in that position, like you're, you, you might as well be the backup to bring strut, bro. Cause you're one of the best, you're one of the best defensive players in the, in the league and paired with Xavier and Howard. Like, I don't know how you get separation on those outside corners. Um, especially like I'm looking at the Patriots with like, okay, like Devonte Parker, go get separation from Jalen Ramsey. I, I don't see that happening. And then the entire time Mac Jones has, has Bradley Chubb breathing down his neck. It's brutal. Um, it has the potential to be a really disgusting matchup and take a lot away from an offense. Um, you would need to win with size inside is really the only way that I could imagine really moving the ball um, on, on, on Miami's defense. And I think that it's something that if I can go back to the Patriots, there's no shot that we were going to have a shot to be, or be able to do last year. Um, but, you know, with, with the, with the addition of Bill O'Brien and being able to really add some complexity to the offense and really be able to take advantage of a, what the, what the defensive is, what the defense is lining up in and, and B, what personnel you actually have on the field is going to be a huge difference maker. A hundred percent. Now, I, I know you guys have mentioned the edge rushers. Let's not discount Christian Wilkins here. I think he's one of the better interior defense alignment in the league, and he's definitely going to hold that down. What's interesting, though, this isn't like a Brian Flores-esque defense. Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator since 2020, uh, spanning from the Brian Flores era into the Mike McDaniel era, was a guy that would let his secondary kind of hold their own on that back end because he had an Xavier Howard the past couple years, and he would send more guys to generate pressure. Now with Vic Fangio, that defense is going to go in 180 in terms of scheme change. They, they're going to go from sending pressure and stacking heavier boxes to a, a coach who wants to scheme lighter boxes and l send more exotic looks on the back end to confuse the quarterback. So I expect Fangio to really rely on Phillips, on Christian Wilkins, and allow those guys to generate all the pressure and Bradley Chubb, who they brought in, while allowing the back guys to, to create plays with all the speed they have there. Yeah, I think the uh, the Fangio system will take some adjusting to, but I think they have the personnel to pull it off and make the defense even better this year. The Dolphins surprised a lot of people last year with their strong offense, I think, and they've done a good job in attempting to bolster the defense to complement the offense. It's kind of like in a reverse way, kind of like what the Pats did with bringing in an actual offensive play caller. The Dolphins bring in a really good defensive play caller to complement their already strong offense. Yeah, I think it was it was absolutely needed in the in the Patriots case. But um, the fact that I mean, what we're talking about here for the last forty five minutes is the fact that the AFC East is a whole hell of a lot stronger than it was last year, and it was pretty damn good last year. Um, I think that like if if and I can preface this by saying I think that what they're doing to Tua Tagovailoa by sticking him out there on the football field is criminal but if they can keep his brain from melting out of his ears the dolphins have a shot to be pretty good um we'll see if mcdaniel can keep his momentum up with the play calling or if he's going to get picked apart by some of the defensive masterminds in, in football um i think that having set one of said defensive masterminds on the maybe we can debate mastermind but having a really good defensive mind on his staff may help prevent that kind of picking a part of the scheme that we see with so many of the other, these other young coaches as well. That's exactly what Sean McVay did when he brought in Brandon Staley. He was trying to figure out a defensive system that had stopped him and tried to figure out how he could beat it. 
And so similarly, we see Mike McDaniel bring in who I have ranked as the third best defensive coach in the NFL right now in Vic Fangio. And he's he's having that sparring moment in in training camp in the offseason when you're supposed to. So come the regular season, you know how to combat some of these things that defensive masterminds are going to throw at you, like a Bill Belichick or what Robert Sala might throw at you from the New York Jets in that defense. And so that being said, Tua is going to go up against some of those better defenses and he's going to face them twice a year within his own division. So it'll be interesting to see how that offensive line holds up against the Patriots defensive line, the Bills defensive line and even the Jets defensive line. They've invested in Mike White as the backup who may see significant playing time if they fail to protect Tua. And I like I don't want to see what happened in Cincinnati again. Like him holding his fingers and the position he did and what that meant from his mental health. This is a guy that needs to understand that life is more important than football. And I hope the coaching staff around him realizes that as well. Good coaches do that. And I'm afraid the Dolphins aren't going to pull that trigger and Tua is going to have serious repercussions. This is the same organization that tried to pay Brian Flores to lose, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it's, it's, it's sad to see because the, these are people at the end of the day that we're talking about. It's, it's a, it's a sport we love. We want to talk about it from an analytics standpoint, but this is a person, this is a life we're talking about. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think Tua needs to do what's best for himself and hopefully the, uh, the team can help him with that. You mentioned Mike White, and uh, he came from another team in the division. That's the New York Jets. We largely know what the other three teams are capable of to a degree, being uh, we saw they have like quarterback consistency. We've seen what they've done. The Jets, however, are the exception. They were a young team of talented and athletic players on both sides of the ball last season, but they were hamstrung by a QB that just doesn't look the part of an NFL QB. But now they've added one of the best to ever do it, in my opinion, the best to ever do it, and are looking to make a run at the division. <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, yeah, they, they added Aaron Rodgers. Again, here's another enormous, gigantic player, like fucking top 10 player in the league coming over to the AFC East, the AFC. Um, but... Yeah, speaking on, on Zach Wilson, he looked like he came from BYU. What do you want me to say? Has, has a BYU quarterback ever succeeded in the NFL? Like, man, that man looks like yeah. he spends a lot of Coles cash is what he does. Um, but <laughs> it was it was from the fans' perspective, I got to say, it's kind of nice to watch an NFL game and feel like a normal guy is out there taking snaps for a franchise. You know, like they're they, – somehow put the VR helmet on and got stuck out there to throw a football for the New York Jets. You know what I'm saying? Um, they put me out there. That was Zach Wilson. When I played, when I watched him again, like most games last year, it just, he looked scared and confused all the time. Um, look, like he can make some great throws, but so can I with a Nerf football during a backyard cookout, you know, like it's like this, there's situational stuff. Um, but watching him play against the Patriots last year was it was awesome from a Patriots fan perspective, but you almost kind of feel bad for the guy. I don't know. I think he threw, it was either three or four interceptions in one of those games. Um, and the last one, like he basically just kind of, it, it was like a, it was a, it was a fucking, it was, he just fuck it, threw it down the field as far as he could. He just said, you, you know what, if, if whatever happens, happens. It was almost inspirational to watch, to be honest with you. Um, 
But that being said, uh, Aaron Rodgers is a uh, wild upgrade. Um, I, I've, I've written down here in my notes that there isn't a metaphor that won't get you demonetized that explains this properly. I think what helps is that they brought in Aaron Rodgers, but they also understood that protecting Aaron Rodgers was key as well. He's on the back half of his career. The mobility that he showed earlier in his career isn't necessarily there. So you have Lakin Tomlinson, Joe Tipman, who they just drafted, and Elijah Veritucker. And those guys are really going to keep the pocket from pushing into Rodgers, which is going to allow him to step in the throws, which is great. I love that. The questions come with the tackle play. Dwayne Brown started training camp on the pup list, but there is a silver lining. Makai Becton is down 50 pounds from last season. He looks great. He feels great. And this could be a solid starter and a promising group. What say you? I still say the, uh, the tackle play is a bit questionable. But other than that, the O-line looks good and the skill positions look good. They brought in Rodgers, right? But they brought his boys, too. They added Randall Cobb. They added Alan Lazard. They brought in Miko Hartman. I'm not sure if he and Rodgers are friends, but based on the uh, the theme of the offseason, you kind of have to be to be a, a new Jets receiver. Then they're adding that to a room with uh, Garrett Wilson, who was the offensive rookie of the year last season, uh, who is Jack's fantasy football keeper, <laughs> I believe. Uh, they have Corey Davis still, who seems to be making plays in training camp. And they also have Brees Hall at running back, who was like disgustingly good before he got hurt last year. And they add uh, Michael Carter, who filled in for him and did a pretty good job. And they drafted Israel Abanakanda out of pit. This is a guy who had six touchdowns in one game. I'm, I think it was the Virginia Tech game. That was one of my favorite uh, favorite game film to watch for this upcoming or this past draft class. But this is looking like one of the deeper skill position groups in the league. And one of the deeper skill position groups that Rodgers has had in quite some time. And then moving on to the defense, they're also pretty young and talented. They had another Rookie of the Year winner last year in Sauce Gardner, who is apparently Rodgers' new best friend. I know they put out a video either, what was it, two days ago, where uh, Sauce is gifting him a chain in the weight room. Uh, They seem to be hitting it off pretty well. Uh, he, he, he was he was wearing that chain like <laughs> that was his thing that was awesome to yeah. eat. like him him opening it wearing it sauce putting it on him is great that was awesome yeah uh their defensive line is pretty pretty uh it's, it has a good rotation i'll say that and their linebacker group even though they still have pretty solid guys in uh cj mosley and quincy williams i would say that's where like the weak point of the defense is but overall the defense this is another stout defense in a stacked AFC East. Yeah, I think you could very well have all four defenses in this division finish in the top 12 to 15 defenses overall. Um, it's going to be really wild to watch. Um, you mentioned Sauce Gardner before. He kind of headlines a pretty nasty um, defensive backfield with Sauce Gardner, Reed, Whitehead, and Adrian Amos. If they all stay healthy, you'll be able to blitz all day long. Um, and again, I think it, it place another a more emphasis on being able to attack the team, the defenses in the AFC East down the middle of the defense. I think this is another one of those defenses that you have to do that with. Um, they're going to be strong on the defensive line. They're going to be strong at the quarterback, at the cornerback position, and at the safety position. You have to attack those linebackers however you can. Um, 
The secondary is going to be crazy versatile. It's going to be pretty sticky in coverage. It's going to be really hard to get that extra separation that quarterbacks are going to need to make the throws. Um, but, you know, if you're able to generate enough push with your offensive line and keep that defensive front off of your quarterback for that extra half second, three quarters of a second, I think it'll be possible to move the ball through the air on this defense. Absolutely, which I think begs the biggest question on this team if they're going to make a Super Bowl push is that most recent championship teams typically have three pass rushers that can really get after the quarterback. The only teams to make the Super Bowl since 2018 typically have three good to elite guys on the defensive line. And the only exceptions to that are Mahomes-led teams and Brady-led teams in the Super Bowl. Outside of that, like you really need guys that can get after the quarterback if you're going to win a championship. Absolutely. Like last year, the Eagles had Hassan Reddick, Hargrave, and Josh Sweat. The Rams and Bengals had guys like uh, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, uh, Leonard Floyd, and then the Bengals had Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, and Sam Hubbard wreaking havoc. That Bucks D-line in 2020, which absolutely decimated the Chiefs' O-line, had Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, Devin White. And then going even further back, another team that played the Chiefs, the Niners, had Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and DeForest Buckner. So just that seems like the rule, three guys, right? And even though Mahomes-led Super Bowl teams don't meet the three reliable pass rushers criteria, he still had Chris Jones and playoff Frank Clark on all three of his Super Bowl trips. So what does this have to do with the New York Jets? Outside of Big Q, who just signed a fantastic extension, he got his payday. It was, I think, a $96 million deal over four years. Is... Who else other than him is getting after the quarterback? You have John Franklin Myers, who's a solid player, Quentin Jefferson and Solomon Thomas, who will provide the Jets, Jets good interior depth. And a guy like Jermaine Johnson is a good run fitter. But these aren't pressure generators. So that leaves Carl Lawson and rookie Will McDonald. One of them may be able to provide the extra little bit of juice to help put them over the top. But I think Joe Douglas should still try and add another viable option, either via trade or free agency uh, preseason, maybe before the trade deadline. But he's he's got to make a push if they're serious about that Super Bowl berth. Absolutely. You got guys like Clowney and uh, Unique Ngakwe out there who should be Panthers pretty soon. But if, if they're not Panthers, they should take a flyer on him. Absolutely. And what the Jets are betting on overall is that Rodgers is enough of an upgrade over Zach Wilson to win them, what, three, four more games? They were still 7-10 and 10 last year. They just need a competent QB. My only question uh, with what they've done is, will it be enough? We've talked at length for the past almost hour now that this division is one of, if not the best in football. And like we said at the, like we said at the start of the episode, all four of these teams have a really reasonable shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, the Jets made the biggest improvement you could make at the most important position on the field. Um, I think they still have to come together and play as a single team with a single goal, which is like, I, I know that when you're talking about the NFL, like, how, how is that? How is that not what they're all doing? It's not. They're worried about getting a bag, bro. That's what's happening. <laughs> they need to play as a single team with a single goal, which they haven't done in almost a decade. Um, if your fan base is looking back on the glory days of Mark Sanchez, it's time for you to make a change like signing Aaron Rodgers. Um, but we will, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. We'll see how, we'll see how Rodgers fits in. 
this team has some serious young talent. We've talked about it, especially from last year's draft class. And they're trying to capitalize on a very small window. In a crowded conference, I'd expect Aaron Rodgers and company to make the playoffs, especially with how their schedule looks after the bye, which leads us into our segment, the top 10 editions. So who's our first guy on the list, Jacob? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's self-explanatory. He was a top 10 lo- or I think he was the number one loss last week when we did the NFC North. It's Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, Zach Wilson was maybe the worst QB in the league last year, maybe for the starters. And they bring in a guy who's a multi-time MVP, who's not too far removed from a back-to-back uh, MVP campaign. And uh, yeah, he should just be the upgrade that they need. Oh, and by the way, they have his play, his old play caller at offensive coordinator in Nathaniel Hackett. So they should. Yeah, that's sc- going to be painful from a Patriots fan perspective. <laughs> um, but on the other side of things, we uh, number two, we've got Bill O'Brien. Um, I think this is interesting at number two because in the context of the situation, it is a huge, huge addition. But if you were to ask me two years ago, hey, you're going to go from Josh McDaniels to Bill O'Brien, I'd be like, you know, like, eh. You know, I, I was getting a little bit sick of Josh McDaniels a couple of years ago, so I might have been a little bit positive about it. But I'm pretty ecstatic about the fact that the Patriots are going to have a real offensive coordinator again. Um, really excited to see how what kind of dynamic that brings to – the table for the Patriots offense. It's going to, anything's got to be better than it was last year. A hundred percent. That's why he's number two on the list. We think he's going to help that offense take the next step. And at number three, we're keeping it in the coaching realm. I have Vic Fangio and I think what he's going to bring to Miami is great. I think that defense is really, really going to take it up a notch and that's going to complement what they can do on offense. And if it can all come together, it can gel, right? Who knows? Maybe this is a team making a push down the stretch in January, which leads us to number four, a guy that is going to help on the back end of that Fangio defense in Jalen Ramsey. He comes over from L.A. and has looked great the past couple years over there. I'd expect him to play well this year, especially with Xavier Howard on that back end. And you have a couple guys there where if you can you can play complimentary football, I don't see this defense really allowing much. I think they're they're going to get off the field relatively quickly, and they're going to generate a lot of turnovers. Another defensive guy we have here at number five is Leonard Floyd. I know we said he's not really a superstar anymore, but he's still a great rotational rusher, which is what the Bills need. I mean, outside of Von Miller, they were kind of the cupboard was bare last season. So they, they need a like an NFL edge rusher who's not a super young guy who isn't experienced to come in and take some of the load off Von Miller so he can be healthy for the I playoff. I hope he run. sucks. Um, coming in at number six and seven here are <laughs> Mike Gusecki and Christian Gonzalez, respectively. Uh, two new Patriots that I'm super excited to have join the roster. Um, I'm curious about Mike Gusecki. I'm hoping that it's more of a hit than the Johnny Smith situation was. I couldn't point to one or two reasons why Johnny Smith wasn't getting the production that we expected to get out of him early uh, in his time with the Patriots. But curious to see what, uh, I mean, obviously Gusecki brings a great element of uh, obviously size and pass catching to that offense. Uh, pair him up with pair him up with Hunter Henry. And I think it'll be a pretty neat dynamic. Um, and then Christian Gonzalez, I don't have a whole lot. To, I'm just excited to kind of see what the guys got, got on defense. I mean, he's a big body. We'll hopefully be able to take out some of those larger receivers, those Corey Davises of the world of the AFC East. Um, 
But yeah, I'm excited to see what he's got on the field. Um, he's allegedly making a ton of different plays in training camp. Looks super good. So I'm excited. Gonzalez, when I was watching film on him during the draft season, he was just so fluid. Like that was, it, it was shocking. He didn't go in the top 10 and for him to fall at 17 to the Patriots. Like it was a steal. I think it was a steal of the draft. Bill Belichick has his centerpiece on defense. We've seen what he does when he has a cornerback one in the room. And that's what he has in Gonzalez, which you need guys like that to stop number eight on our board, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, this was somebody Brandon Bean thought was one of the best pass catchers in the draft, if not the best pass catcher. He catches really, really well, almost similarly to Travis Kelsey, some might say. Um, we'll see if that plays out at the NFL level, but this is somebody that's going to be a reliable pass catcher outside of Stefan Diggs for Josh. Absolutely. Um, number nine is an interesting addition. Uh, I've got kind of mixed thoughts on it is Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, we basically, from a cap perspective and a roster perspective, just traded, and again, like we didn't go to opposite teams, obviously, but we just traded Jacoby Myers for Juju Smith-Schuster. I would pay money to be a fly on the wall on the conversation that kind of led to that taking place. But we'll be, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, I've been talking about the fact that I think that Bill O'Brien's going to be adding complexity to the, the middle of the offense uh, next year, being able to attack the middle of defenses. Uh, we'll see if Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, JSS, I can't even think of a good nickname for this guy. If he's good, I'll, I'll put some more effort into it. But um, I really was a, I was a fan of Jacoby Myers. Uh, he, was, he was clutch when he needed to be clutch. Um, and I think he liked being a Patriot. So it was kind of, kind of weird how that entire thing went down. But curious to see what Juju does um, and if he can add some help to Bill O'Brien's offense. Yeah, I think Juju's going to be a bit more physical than Myers was. I think that's one of the reasons they went out and got him. Uh, but it will be interesting to see what he contributes this year. And to round out our top 10, we have Joe Tipman. He was the draft pick for the Jets. He's their new center. And for Aaron Rodgers, we talked about the O-line at length during the Jets section. You need a good O-line around him. I mean, he's not getting any younger. We need to protect him. And so getting a guy like, Tip, uh, like Joe Tipman who was one of the better interior guys in the draft. I think he's going to be pretty good for the Jets and uh, just help protect Rodgers overall. And then looking at our honorable mentions, guys who just missed the cut, we got Damian Harris. We talked about him for the Bills. If He's probably going to be their uh, pound-the-rock guy in the red zone so Josh Allen doesn't have to take so many hits from linebackers trying to dive over the uh, dive over the line for a touchdown. We talked about Miko Hardman for the Jets, just another receiving option in their suddenly deep receiver room. Uh, Taylor Rapp for the Bills, he's going to be another versatile back-end piece. He comes over for the Rams, and he might be able to spell uh, Poyer and Hyde if they need to take some snaps off as they're also getting up there in age. And then our last guy is David Long Jr. He comes over from Tennessee. He's going to be an interior linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. And his, uh, he has a bit of an injury history, but he is a pretty good linebacker and should be able to be a good uh, presence in Vic Fangio's new defense. Absolutely. And a guy that highlights the top 10 losses from the AFC East is a defender in Tremaine Edmonds. 
was interesting. We saw Matt Eberflus trade Roquan Smith and sign Tremaine Edmonds this offseason, a linebacker that's going to fit more of his scheme. He's a little bit faster, a little bit more rangier, a guy that can go sideline to sideline in this modern era when you need linebackers to do that. So I think that was a, a good pickup for the Bears. They probably paid a little bit more than they should have for him, but they needed to spend money this offseason. Yeah, another they guy got, a good got paid maybe a little bit too much is comes in at number two in our top 10 losses at Jacoby and it's Jacoby Myers. Um, again, we just talked about the addition of Juju Smith-Schuster is kind of like a push in terms of, you know, receiver for receiver. I was a fan of Jacoby Myers. Um, I think he's going to be great. Uh, he's a great possession receiver. Any Anything 10 to 12 yards down the field, not a speed guy, uh, but anything, you know, 10 to 12 yards down the field, he's, he's a pretty sure-handed guy. So, um It'll be it'll be fun to watch him where where he's at now, but um, it definitely is a, is a loss for the Patriots in that wide receiver room. He made a lot of plays last year that kept kept drives going. Absolutely, and another guy that hopefully will keep drives alive for the Cleveland Browns is Elijah Moore. He got traded this past offseason from the Jets to the Browns. Very explosive wide receiver. It was just hard for him to get opportunities and targets when you had Zach Wilson at quarterback. And after they started signing some of Rogers guys, the room was getting a little bit crowded and he had to go. So hopefully he'll make plays in his new location and get his payday. Uh, but that's, that's to be seen, which leads us into number four, a guy that was also on the jets last year in Sheldon Rankins. He offered a lot of good interior depth, for that defensive line and he is right now for the new and playing for the new orleans saints alongside guys like cameron jordan and whatnot and we'll see what he does down in the bayou this year as panther fans we aren't wishing him the best but uh <laughs> that is that that's where we're at a guy that i am wishing the best is number five uh devin singletary formerly of the bills now on the houston texans he's a guy that uh he would he would never start the year super well but something would always click mid-season, and at the end of the year, he would be the running back that the Bills needed. They obviously replaced him with guys like Damian Harris and uh, Latavius Murray, but hopefully he goes on to have a, a good year in Houston this year. And then number six, a guy that's staying in the division, it's Mike White. It's a, You guys may not think that uh, he's super important or he shouldn't be this high, but this was a guy who had uh, pretty significant snaps last year. And for a guy with Tua's injury history, specifically uh, head injuries, you never know who, like when the backup QB is going to need to be called upon. We saw it with Teddy and with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and with Skylar Thompson last year. They both played significant snaps. So the backup in Miami is an important piece, and that's going to be a uh, a tough loss for the Jets and a pretty yeah, good pickup I mean, for the Dolphins. If Aaron Rodgers did not come into this division, Mike White would probably be the starting quarterback for the Jets next year. Like, let's just be really honest with each other. Um, he, at a lot of times last year, was better than Zach Wilson. Uh, but enough about number six. We'll move on to number seven, uh, Jonu Smith. I'm a, I'm a big Jonu Smith fan. I think that he could, he added, he was one of those guys like I'm talking about, like versatility and being able to do a lot of things. Jonu Smith basically defines that. Um, He's able to work out of the backfield. He's able to work from out wide. He just wasn't getting the touches. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was. He just wasn't able to get separation. Um, it just never really worked with that Patriots offense that was being built, even in that first year when uh, I believe it was McDaniels was still there. 
Um, I'm curious to see, you know, what he does. He's a freak athlete. I think he's going to, if, if he, if he fits into the right scheme, I think that he could be, you know, a, a, a seven to 800 yard receiver of five to six touchdown guy. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. That leads us into number eight. It's another loss for the bills. That's Isaiah McKenzie. He was kind of their gadget player on offense last year. I know they kind of replaced him with Deontay Hardy, but uh, McKenzie did play a, Pretty uh, pretty sizable amount of snaps as their wide receiver three. And uh, he should have a decent year with the Colts this year as they kind of revamp their offense. And then another loss for the Bills at number nine is their defensive play caller, Leslie Frazier. I know uh, we're, we're kind of cool with Sean McDermott calling uh, defenses and stuff because he was pretty good at it in Carolina. But the Bills defense has been really good the past couple of years. I think uh, they were fourth in defensive DVOA. I think that's what the number was earlier. And to lose a guy who's calling plays like that, it's not a uh, it's not an insignificant loss. And so I think they're gonna they're gonna feel his loss this year, even if they're a good defense again. Just his leadership and uh, his experience. Yeah, he's gonna make he's gonna make this defense. division even harder to play in. Um, it wasn't like it was already hard enough, but hopefully with the addition of number ten, I guess ten's kind of a loss and an addition. He stayed in the same division as Mike Gusecki. Um I'm glad that the Patriots got him. I'm glad that he stayed in the division. I'm glad that he's on the Pats roster. But for from the Dolphins' perspective, um, they, I mean they've got they've got weapons. You know they've obviously got uh, weapons out wide with Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I'm not sure where this leaves them in terms of that tight end room. Like do they, I don't know if there's a lot of depth there. I don't think they can do a whole lot of uh, 20x personnel to figure out you know multiple multiple tight end packages. We'll see. Um, I think that you know from a from a skill set perspective, Gusecki obviously um, specializes in you know, the receiving side. I'm not sure how he is as a blocker, but I think it's just uh, Tua a lot of the times last year, and I had I actually had Gusecki on my fantasy team for a while too, um, would use him as like a last resort. Because, you know, like while Waddle and Hill were great with, um, you know, if they were able to generate that separation, they were great after they got the ball in their hands in the open field. But I mean, if it was like, if, if it, Tua was screaming in his helmet, you know, he was looking for Mike Gusecki to try to catch the ball somewhere. So that's, that, that's always a loss. Um, I always see, uh, you know, a, a solid tight end as a really good security outlet for a quarterback. And I, I always hate to see a, hate to see someone like Tua lose one. Absolutely. Yeah. Having a security blanket, like he said, and, and hammers the point home. He really wasn't utilized as well in the Mike McDaniel system, they like running 21 personnel a little bit more, not a lot of two tight end sets. So it's why he's a little bit lower on the losses list compared to the additions. Some other honorable mentions include guys that are still free agents, LaMarcus Joyner, who plays safety, Roger Saffold, a guard who could definitely fill in somewhere across the league uh, to provide quality depth. Isaiah Wynn is now with the Miami Dolphins. He'll try to help that offensive line. It's not saying a lot that he doesn't make the list. Uh, and then Melvin Ingram, who's also a free agent as an edge rusher. Somebody could pick him up down the stretch. It's just a, yeah, he was fantastic. I remember a couple of years he was causing some serious problems for the Dolphins after playing. He, he played for the Chargers for a little bit too, right? Yeah, yeah he, was a, he was a stud. Yep. Yes. Um, so I guess we're diving into what this uh, perfect takes trademark. Is that what we're diving into next? Cool. Yep. Yeah. It's time for our takes Sweet. and we'll let you go first you. since you're the um, guest. I don't know how wacky and wild you get with these takes. So I just kind of, I wrote something down that, uh, 
that I think is relatively safe, but um, may anger some other AFC East fans. Um, I think the Patriots are going to, their defense is going to be top three in the league. I think they're going to have the best defense in the division. Um, and I think they have a 50-50 shot, maybe a little bit better than a 50-50 shot at making the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to promise any sort of success once they get there, but I think that the, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit more when we go through our division standings, but um, this it's going to be an absolute bloodbath, and I cannot wait for this season, and I, I fucking hate the Bills. I hate the Dolphins. I hate the Jets. It's going to be so much fun. Spoken like a true Pats fan. Exactly. I think it's fair enough. That leads into my take. Uh, the Bills have been the, the division uh, kings for the last couple of years. And my take is that they won't have the best offense or the best defense in terms of DVOA this year. I th- they might have the best record overall, but I mean, I think all these teams could win like between 11 and 10 games. I just don't think the Bills will be the, uh, the absolute class of the division anymore. I think the other teams are catching up. A fair point. In a quarterback-driven league, my takes are based on who are playing quarterback. I don't I don't trust into his health. I don't trust in that offensive line. And I think because of that, the Dolphins will miss the playoffs and have their first losing record in three seasons. I think they'll go eight and nine. I really don't see them going any worse than seven and ten. But this is something where I can definitely see the offense getting kind of stymed in their tracks if Tua is not the guy. Which then leads me into the two teams in this division that I think do make the playoffs and the Bills and the Jets as the only teams who will represent the AFC East come the dance. Yeah. That kind of leads us into uh, division division standings as a whole. And Jack, you'll go first again since you are yeah, our honored um, guest. Geez, standings for this division. It's going to be because they all play each other twice, you know? It's like you could have. So many division, uh, what do they call those? Like the like the division, you could have split division uh, like series. Is that what they call it? Like if you play two games and you split it, um, they split the series. But essentially, like you could have very yeah. much so like one a lot of one and one matchups between AFC East teams when, when playoff time comes around. It's going to be really fun to watch December and January football in the AFC East because every single game is going to matter a whole lot. Like you said, Jacob, I, like all of these teams, all four of them could be 10, 11 in the 10 or 11 win range. I think that more accurately, there will be three that are in that 10 or 11 win range. Um, again, it's going to be, it's going to be insane. I think, I think it's still the Bills division to lose, um, but something squirrely could happen very easily. Like a, a, a very small thing could change and they could end up in second or third or even last place. Um if the Patriots win 10 games this season, the rest of the division is going to have to keep their foot on the gas to keep themselves ahead. You know, like if it could very easily be, I know the Patriots at least have a weaker second half of their schedule. The first half of their schedule kind of sucks, but they're, they're a little bit weaker in the second half. It could be, it could be really tight there at the end of the season. Um, after the bills, I think I've got the jets um, adding Aaron Rodgers. Like it's, it's, it just adds that element of like, okay, you're You're a playoff team. Like Aaron Rodgers doesn't play for a non playoff team. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're going to be, they're going to be in that 10, 11 win range. They'll be sitting, they'll be sitting behind the bills in, in my uh, prediction. And then 
after yeah after this, I said there are three teams in the division who could end up in that 10-11 win range. I think if the, if the Patriots have some key wins in some big games, uh, you know, like if they could beat if they beat the Cowboys, if they beat some of those non non uh, non AFC teams, or even some of those big AFC games that they have during the middle of the season as well, it's going to make a huge difference towards the end of the end of the season. You could very well have you know teams that have an, an additional win that don't make the playoffs. Um, It'll be really interesting to see. And then in third place, I've got the Patriots. Um, I think that they're going to come in third. Again, they're going to be another one of those 10, 11 win teams. Um, I think 11 wins is their ceiling and six wins is their floor. Um, we'll see what ends up happening. We'll see what BOB can actually uh, can actually put together when it comes to an offense. They were they, the, the Patriots won a reasonable number of games last year basically without an offensive side of the football, which gives me reasonable hope that with an established offense, they'll be able to actually put some points on the board and win some games. Um, I think Mac's going to go through a huge evolution. I don't know. I'm hoping this wasn't some sort of fucked up AI, but I saw Mac Jones throw a football like 65 yards in a training facility the other day. That had me pretty excited. Um, and then, yeah, like Bill O'Brien in any other set of circumstances is not a thrilling addition to me. But right now, I'm pretty thrilled to have him as part of the coaching staff. And then I have got the Dolphins in last. We'll see if McDaniel can keep the magic happening in Miami. But honestly, like, and while I am worried for Tua's head, I'm worried for his joints and his ankles and his knees and his shoulders too, because that offensive line just isn't like coming from a Patriots fan. Adding Isaiah Wynn is great and all, but that's not exactly going to save you a bunch of sacks during the course of the year. Uh, I think that between the uncertainty around Tua and the inconsistency around putting points on the board, I think my faith in Miami is just, it's not, it's not strong in a strong division. I think all of the points you've made are 100% valid. Uh, for me, this is definitely the hardest group we've done so far. I think the bills are the, the model of high level consistency over the past few seasons and if they're really committed to having a balanced offense and protecting Josh Allen, I still think they're the team to be in the division and one of the teams to be overall in the AFC as a whole. Now on my notes here, I'm going to deviate a little bit. Over the course of the last hour, you guys have talked me into having the Jets in second. Uh, I mean, they were just one of the better teams in the, in the league last year. They were just hamstrung by Zach Wilson. And if Rodgers can play like Rodgers, even, not even MVP-level Rodgers, if he can be competent, just like a, the 10th best QB in the league, that's a really good team. So I'm going to have the Jets in second, which means I'm moving the Dolphins down to three. Uh, I think their defense is going to be able to make a big enough improvement under Vic Fangio to, uh, to pair with that strong offense. Uh, like, like you said, Jack, and like we've talked about, it's just going to come down to Tua. But if he's upright, I think uh, they're a really dangerous team. That means, lastly, uh, probably much to your disappointment, I would have the Patriots. I just think the other teams, <laughs> yeah, I just think the other teams overall, like as a whole, are just too strong. And with what the Patriots went through last year on offense, I think they have some catching up to do. Uh, however, with their huge cap space going into next offseason, like we talked about, we could see the division looking a lot different in even just two years. A hundred percent. But as it stands, I think this is the Bills division to lose. 
they reloaded this offseason and will make a statement, I believe, early on about their Super Bowl intentions. I think the Jets are rejuvenated and will make a playoff push and give their fans something to be excited about since Mark Sanchez. The division overall gives off AFC West vibes from last year. A lot of promising talent looks to be one of the best divisions in football, but only two teams are going to make it come January. I don't trust Tua's health, like I've already said, and I don't think Mac is good enough to put this offense over the top. I think there's a lot of things to be excited about, but I think they're just going to be on the cusp, which leads us into our final section of the day, Carolina Panthers and training camp news. Jacob, what well, do you have for us? Well, before we get to that, let's just uh, be clear with all yep. of our rankings. So, Jack, you have correct. The it's Bills, Jets, Pats, Dolphins. That's your ranking. All right, I have Bills, Jets, Dolphins, Pats, and Steve. You have. Bills, I have it the Jets. same way, Jack. I've got Jack has okay. it. Yeah, Bills, Jets, Pats. No Dolphins. numbers okay. to back. So all my... of our first yeah, two teams the are the same. Yeah, I think the Bills and Jets are the top. With Bills, division. Jets. Okay. Yeah, but like we said, it's it's a bloodbath. I mean, all four of these teams, I think, can make the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, let's move into the Panthers segment of our podcast. We are a Carolina Panthers podcast. Looking at training camp news, uh, it's time to talk training camp. The, uh, the rookies reported this past weekend, and by the time this episode is posted, we're recording on a Tuesday late afternoon here. The veterans have already reported, so uh, training camp is officially underway. Absolutely. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so tomorrow will be the first official practice for the Carolina Panthers down in Spartanburg. The heat and humidity will obviously play a factor, so practices are scheduled in the mornings. They usually start around 10-15. On Saturday, July 26th, we have the Back Together event at Gibbs Stadium, also in Wofford. And Fan Fest is on Wednesday, August 2nd this year. Usually a Saturday event, but this year it's on a Wednesday. Both are good opportunities to catch the team if you don't want to watch just a regular practice. Absolutely. And for us, we will be watching a regular practice. Uh, we'll plan to be in Spartanburg at Wofford College on Saturday, August 5th for that day's practice session. Uh, this is going to be my first training camp experience. I believe it's your first as well. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, we are going to have to stay hydrated, though. That Spartanburg heat, all the stories I've heard about it, is it's pretty dangerous. It is. No, you start going a little bit more south. That, that sun doesn't play around. So we'll definitely be hydrated, maybe bring a little sunscreen. And after that practice on Saturday, the New York Jets will be in town for joint practices on Wednesday, uh, August 9th, and Thursday, August 10th. This will be a good time to get a good look at Rodgers in a different uniform. Those practices wrap up training camp leading into the first preseason game where we host the New York Jets on August 12th, I believe. Yes, and I'm definitely excited to see practice in person this year. Uh, in particular, I want to see some of those famous training camp battles, which are always a big part of decision making towards some of the edges of the 53-man roster. I think uh, Panthers fans know we have quite a few spots that are up for grabs on our squad. And I want to start with the edge two position or who's going to start opposite Brian Burns. Hopefully over an hour in, we still have you guys on the edge of your seat. And with this position, I agree. The spot is definitely up for grabs between YGM, Barno, Marcus Haynes, DJ Johnson. There are a lot of options for that spot. 
I think it will end up being Yotor Grossmodis, or as I said earlier, YGM. He's great in the run game, but needs to improve at rushing the passer. He saw over 70% of the snaps last year on defense, and I think he'll be a cemented starter come week one, aside from Brian Burns. What do you think? As the roster stands right now, I'm going to go with Marquise Haynes. Joe Person wrote about it in The Athletic, and Billy Marshall and John Ellis talked about it on their podcast, The Roar. Marquise Keynes has had somewhat of a Mario Addison career arc so far. You know, both of them took a while to get their footing in the league, and in year six, that's really when Mario Addison's career kind of took off. He became that starter in year six uh, across from Charles Johnson. And it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Marquise Haynes kind of break out this year and take charge of that role. But, I mean, we could also sign, like, that's uh, signing another edge rusher isn't out of the question. Absolutely. That could now, yeah. That could be where we fill it. And I think watching some of these training camp battles will give our coaches an idea if these guys are ready to step up in that position. But the comp that you had for Marcus Haynes is great. I would love to see a 10-sack season from him. Uh, for reference, Mario Addison going into his sixth season, he got nine and a half sacks. So to get that kind of production across from Brian Burns would be huge, which then leads us into the other training camp battle that we're going to keep our eyes on. And that's for the wide receiver fifth and sixth spot on the roster. Now the top four spots are locked in. I would say Terrace Marshall, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, and Jonathan Mingo are all locks, which leaves those two spots left. And I think they'll be filled with the likes of LaVishka Chenault, Shai Smith, Demir Bird, and Derek Wright. I think the last two spots will end up going to Wright and Bird. Wright formed a report early on with Bryce Young, giving him the nod over a guy like Shai Smith. And Demir Bird is a seasoned vet that's been with his team before and that the coaching staff kind of handpicked this offseason. And he'll be influential not only in the offense occasionally with gadget plays, but also on special teams. The last spot can kind of be a toss-up. I could see it being LaVishka Chenault because he has a lot of big play potential as well. I definitely think uh, Demir Bird has a chance, especially with his return ability. I think he's still the last Panther to return a kick or punt for a touchdown. I remember that Jets game, I believe, in, what is it, 2016? 20, no, uh, 2018, I believe, where he returned the punt. But uh, I'm going to go with LaVisca Chenault and Derek Wright as the final two. Chenault is a guy that uh, our GM, Scott Fitterer, traded for around this time last year. And I'm not sure he's uh, ready to give on up, give up on him this early. He has that big play potential. And Derek Wright might be the more surprising name. But like we touched on in episode one, Wright and Bryce Young had a bit of a strong connection during OTAs. And you always want to give your rookie QB the guy that he trusts to catch the ball. Just like we brought in Hayden Hurst and Adam Thielen, you want those security blankets. You want a guy that's on the same page, especially with somebody that's inexperienced at the NFL level. So like you said, I think Derek Wright will definitely be one of those final two guys. Now, switching to the defensive side for the last training camp battle that we're really going to be attentive towards is the cornerback two spot across from J.C. Horn. Horn is a lockdown corner. We know what we have in him when he's healthy. Dante Jackson, who we paid last offseason, should be the starter, 
But he's coming off an injury, and if he doesn't return the form, maybe we see a guy like Keith Taylor take a step in year two. He showed a lot of promise last year as a late-round draft pick, and I, I would definitely be okay seeing a little bit more from him. Who I do not want to see more of is C.J. Henderson. He had so many forgettable moments last year, uh, including plays that cost us the division in Tampa. So it's one of those things that that isn't somebody I want to see on the field because that's somebody who's going to just give up explosive plays and be something the offense wants to pick on uh, throughout the course of a game. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, we need some ben- or we could really benefit from some competition in that corner room. Going into the season last year, we had five corners on our 53-man roster. Those being J.C. Horn, Dante Jackson, C.J. Henderson, Keith Taylor, and Stanley, Th- Stanley Thomas Oliver, but he played more of a special teams role. So mirroring that and assuming we also have only five corners on the roster this year moving forward, that pretty much leaves three spots up for grabs. I think we know that uh, Horn and Jackson, if they're both healthy and they both showed up today, uh, not on the pup list, so they will participate in training camp, which is good news since they both uh, are coming off injuries. I think we know that those two guys are probably the starters. So that leaves three spots up for grabs. And for those three spots, uh, much to your dismay, I think think CJ Henderson will be one of them. I think Keith Taylor will be one of them. And for the last guy, I have the undrafted free agent, Rajon Wright from Oregon State, being our fifth corner. I don't think Fitterer is willing to give up on Henderson just yet. He paid a, a pretty hefty price for him. And while he did have a lot of negative plays last year, he also had the few and far between really good plays. I'm thinking about that uh, Atlanta game in overtime where he picked off uh, Marcus Mariota and drove us down, the, or he brought it back uh I think got us within the 20 or something like that. And uh, that gave us a chance to win that game in overtime. Obviously we didn't, but he, he has the ability to make the play. He just needs to be more consistent with it. Um, Keith Taylor has a guy is a guy that had a lot of upside in his rookie year when he was thrust into action early. I think about that uh, 2021 Vikings game where he lined up against Justin Jefferson for a lot of the time. And while he didn't lock him down, He did a pretty good job against him. So between uh, Taylor and uh, STO, I think Taylor has a bit more upside. But I do think we need some new blood in that room, and that's why I chose Rajon Wright. And since we didn't bring in a corner in free agency, we did bring in Eric Rowe, but I consider him to be more of a uh, a nickel corner or like more of a safety. Uh, And we didn't draft a corner. Rajon Wright was the guy for me, and uh, he's the guy in that last spot for me. I think, I think that's a fair cornerback room for what we have. Hopefully, maybe there's some guy out on waivers we can grab. Uh, I'm excited overall of what Evero is going to bring to the unit. If Horn can play like Sertan, it's going to alleviate the pressure uh, put on the rest of the secondary and could lead to an impressive defensive effort this year, jettisoning into maybe top 10, top 5 in DVOA with a lot of young, promising talent. And... So with that, we kind of wrap up with the third episode of Perfect Takes. Had a lot of fun breaking down the AFC East and the upcoming training camp battles. Next week, we'll break down the NFC East with special guest Colin Dumphy to talk about the sale of the Washington franchise, Saquon's new deal, and the fight for the division crown between Dallas and Philadelphia. Until then, 